Hey moms, welcome to this episode of the Dorinda Wilson podcast. I'm Dorinda, wife to one, mom to eight, nana to nine, and 27-year veteran homeschooling mom. I also wrote three books, The Unhurried Homeschooler, a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling, for the four-hour school day, how you and your kids can thrive in the homeschool life and unhurried grace for a mom's heart, which is a devotional that I wrote specifically for homeschooling moms. You can find all three of those books at Amazon. You can find them at my website, DorindaWilson.com, and you can find the four-hour school day at any of your favorite booksellers in addition to the two places that I just mentioned. I am so glad that you joined me today. I'm going to be talking about having a biblical perspective on hardship. But I have a couple of announcements I want to share first. Uh, Conference season is coming up. So the homeschool conference season is about to take off. And I'm going to be speaking in several different places. And so what I'm going to do is include a link in the show notes to the event page on my website for you to check out. So on that page, um, the, t- the name of the event, where it's located, date is all there, plus a link to go check out more details and sign up to be at the event because I would love to meet you if that's at all possible. So again, I will leave that link in the show notes for you today. Also, y'all know math was my struggle, still is my struggle. Have you tried CTC math? yet with your child. I have been recommending this for a while now, but here's a testimonial from another happy homeschool mom. Amber said, I'm absolutely thrilled with CTC math. It's a rare find that I've used with my children for more than five years. I have six children using CTC math and each child has found it easy to navigate and very applicable. I love seeing them enjoy this math program and grow in their mathematical journey. Thank you so much for all that you're doing in providing quality math lessons for my children. If you're looking for a great online math program, moms, visit ctcmath.com. That is ctcmath.com. And again, I will leave a link in the show notes to make it easy for you to get there. I mentioned before, I'm going to talk about having a biblical perspective on hardship. And one of the reasons that I decided to talk about this is from what I'm seeing on the landscape and in my own personal life, I am seeing what appears to be so many believers really suffering hardship on multiple fronts. And so if you're listening out there and you are walking through hardship, I, I, my prayer is that this episode will be a blessing to you because it is actually essential that we have a biblical perspective on hardship as believers. You could call it like a theology of suffering. That's another name for it. But it's essential for us because as we're walking out our lives and we are called to be salt and light, people are looking at us and you know, if we're not responding any differently than the world is, then what does that say about our God? You know, if if I'm an absolute hot mess and there's no evidence of faith, there's no evidence that I have a trust in anything other than myself or I'm just being completely overrun and... um just overtaken by my circumstances and my emotions, um, how is that different than what we're seeing in the world? And we don't do this differently 
just for the sake of doing it differently, to try to prove something. We don't have to defend God. God can defend his own reputation. But as believers, we're called to obedience to the Lord. And as we walk in obedience, we are salt and light automatically. So our focus isn't, oh, what are other people going to think? But that is a fruit of obedience or disobedience. Other people are going to look at how we're handling these difficulties. And this isn't something you can fake, moms. We all know that it's pointless. Like it's, it's gotta be real. And so this is why it is essential that we have a theology of suffering or a biblical perspective on hardship. I have shared this in other episodes that where I've talked about trials and afflictions and things like that. But I'm going to share the two main um, the two main pillars that we need to stand on and that I have stood on and found solid ground over and over and over again. Now, some of you might be new listeners and you might think, well, what kind of difficulties have you actually been through? You know, it's a, it's a fair question. You know, have I had a life of ease? No, I've had a very blessed life. Um but I've had difficulty too. And so just to name a few, um, our oldest daughter unexpectedly gave birth to her first baby um, and he was stillborn and it was not something we were expecting at all. You know, even if you are expecting it, it is a great loss. But just to have that happen um, with, you know, just thinking we were going to be holding a live baby and a live grandson and then not to have that was was devastating. It was, I say devastating in terms of emotionally, it was an incredible thing to experience. Um, you know, it's one thing if you're dealing with your own loss as a mom, you know, we, we handle our own emotions. We, But when our babies, even as adults, are hurting and going through hard things, we feel it like with them and we can't take that burden for them. All we can do is pray for them and walk alongside them through it. And so that um, that was really, really challenging. But at the same time, standing on these, these two pillars that I'm going to talk to you about today was absolutely, um, is absolutely what grounded us. Okay, uh, we had a son who was born with transposition of the greater arteries and two holes in his heart, two months of an absolute roller coaster ride of not knowing whether he was going to live or die, seven children at home, an hour away. Um, so two full months of that. And the, even then, you know, coming home and just having to care for him and worrying about whether I was giving him the right medication and, you know, it was just, and being sleep deprived, you know, all those things, all the things that go along with a situation like that. If you've ever had a child in NICU or PICU, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so I've had that go on. Um, so there's, you know, I've had different, I've had, I've struggled with um, anxiety very strongly. And um, again, these are the pillars that, allow me the footing that I need to be able to move forward in faith, okay? And so the first pillar I want to talk about is the fact that God is sovereign. Now, I know that people say that and they don't actually believe it 
because when we say God is sovereign, we believe that he is literally in control of everything. And I realize that is a very deep topic in terms of, you know, does that mean we're robots? And, you know, no, it does not. Um, you know, where does our responsibility come in? It does come in. But in the grand scheme of things, God is weaving all of it together for good. He is weaving it all together for his plans and purposes. And you cannot read the scriptures and not see that. So I'm just going to share a few verses with you because again, I can't go into this study, but I can recommend The Sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink. Um, Another book that has been super helpful to me, um, it's not just on his sovereignty, but it's on his attributes. It was also written by A.W. Pink and it is called um, The Attributes of God. And uh, I've been going back through that book for the second or third time now. And what I'm finding is, is this truth over and over and over again is that when I am focused on who God is, I am studying that, I am meditating on it, which is what I'm doing as I'm reading through this book. Um, my anxiety in terms of feeling anxious, it, 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 is, it is lightened so, so much. I feel so much calmer as I am just focused on him because that's what we were made for. We were made for this creator, um, creature relationship. And when we are fully coming under his lordship and under his feet and yielding to the fact that he is actually sovereign and he is all of these things that are in this book of attributes. Of course, it's not an exhaustive study of his attributes, but it is a wonderfully deep study in short little chapters. And so I'll leave uh, links in the in the show notes. But how I've been doing, and I'll just share this with you because it might be helpful to you. It might not be. But if you really do want to dive into it, um, I would say what, what I've been doing, and you can take pieces of this and use it and throw out what doesn't work for you. But I've been reading the chapter. So I'll read the first chapter. It is on, you know, let's just say it's on the, the power of God or the sovereignty of God, or the supremacy of God, or the immutability of God, or the holiness of God, or the power of God, the patience of God. You guys, it's amazing to study his attributes. Um, But anyway, I'll read that chapter. And as I'm reading the chapter, I'm kind of noting the scriptures that are being quoted. um, And he quotes them in King James. So I like to go to my ESV and I look up those scriptures and I write those scriptures down in a notebook. And when I'm done reading, uh, so I read the chapter, write down the scriptures. So I'm writing out scriptures each day. And then I'm just sort of summarize what I what I read, um, kind of what really stood out to me, and then write a little prayer at the bottom. Um, or I just pray, you know, lots of different things you can do with that. But this has really been a great way to sort of process the book and process all that's said because it's, it's there's a lot there in that little book and it's not even a very thick book. So anyway, point is, it is essential that we understand who God is and this, this characteristic of him being sovereign is the, is the foundational for everything else. Um, so here are some, just a few verses on his sovereignty. And you can look up, you can go to Google and you can say verses on the sovereignty of God. There's tons and tons of them, but I'm just gonna share a few. Isaiah 46 verses nine and 10. I am God and there is no other. I am God 
and there is none like me. I made known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Our God is not passive. He is very, very active. In fact, I was reminded the other day at church, listening to a message, um, you know, sometimes we we just think, oh, you know, things like, you know, the sun rises every day and it sets every day. And we just think that God pulled, you know, he just sort of wound up the clock when he created the earth and he just let it go. And he's not really participating. That is absolutely not true. He is actively ordering the sun to rise every day and the sun to set every day. And when you think about that, He's actively ordering creation every single day. Why would he not actively be coordinating what's happening in our own lives? And that can be difficult to understand when we're in the middle of hardship. But I'm going to go on and keep reading about his sovereignty. Because there's something comforting about knowing that we're not in charge. That we're not in control, but someone who is very good and very powerful and very perfect is. Psalm 135 verse 6 says, The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. Psalm 115 verse 3, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Now that would be frightening if we didn't know that he is good and he is perfect and righteous in everything that he does. Isaiah 40 verses 27 to 31, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. Okay, and then he goes on to talk about giving strength to the weary, increasing the power of the weak, that even young men grow tired and weary and, um, stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint because not be faint because when our hope is in a sovereign God who is perfect and in every way, good in every way, powerful in every way, we are strengthened. And I I love the beginning of that where he's like, why are you complaining? Why are you acting like my way is hidden from you, that your cause is, is disregarded by me? You know, that is so not who God is. He clearly says that not a hair from our heads falls to the ground without him knowing about it, not just knowing about it, but I think that knowing means absolutely in control. All right, so we know that he is sovereign. We've briefly touched on that. The other pillar that we've got to stand on is the one I just mentioned, that he is good. Because if he were sovereign, all-powerful, completely in control, and not perfectly good, we would be sunk. We would be sunk, but that's not the case. 1 John 1.5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. None, not even a tiny little bit. That is hard to imagine, but it's true. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. 
That's our God. Exodus 34, 6. He is abounding in goodness and truth. First Chronicles 16, 34 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 145, 9 says, The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Mark 10, 18, no one is good but one. That is God. Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Psalm 92, 15, the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Psalm 92, 15. James 1, 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of heavenly lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The faithful God who cared for the Israelites, who sent his son, is every bit as faithful today as he was then, and he will continue to be faithful throughout all of eternity. These truths, God's sovereign and God is good, are solid, moms, whether we feel like it or not. But we also need to recognize that God is not silent when it comes to our suffering. He cares about our suffering. And he says in his word, and we experienced this when we lost our our grandson, um, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope, right? And so when we're suffering, we have to remember there is a time and a place to grieve. So grieving is, we don't act like nothing's going on. We're not nonchalant about anything. We're not pretending we're not hurting, but we understand that grief has its place or what the Bible would call lament, okay? And I'm gonna just explain that real quickly. Um, To lament is to express deep regret, grief, or sorrow. So that can be for sin, but that can also be for just the things that happen that affect us in a sinful world that we live in. Okay, so God gives us permission. He encourages us to lament. Um, So it's to express deep regret, grief, or sorrow. We can lament through words we can lament through actions. The, the Israelites used to, you know, um, they would take off their clothes. I'm not recommending this, but I'm just saying there's their way of doing this outwardly of, of you know, just lamenting was to take off their clothes and to sit in a pile of ashes. And so, you know, we've gotten so far away from any kind of um, rituals or things that can help us physically um, lament. So don't feel, if God gives you a way to lament that is physical, don't feel weird or awkward about that. Just know that that is also an acceptable way to lament. And lamenting is a common theme in the Bible. It is not, you know, it's not vague and just a little bit here and there. It is all throughout scripture. Um, it is a form of worship not a form of complaining. So this is something I want to differentiate um, is that 
It's not the same thing. Although in the scripture, it is sometimes referred to as taking our complaints to God. It is, it's better than that. It's not the complaining that you see on social media and all of that where emotions have just taken over and there's no truth involved in that lament. But it's taking our grief, true lament is taking our grief and bringing it to the Father because we have confidence that he cares. And moms, we might not even fully have confidence that he cares when we do it. But even if we don't feel that confidence, we are called to obey. We are called to do what God has called us to do. He has called us to bring these things to him. What does the scripture say? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. His peace guards us. We don't guard that peace. We get that confused. I have gotten that confused where I think, oh my goodness, I'm at not at peace. I need to work really hard to try to be at peace. That's self-help. That's me trying to do it on my own instead of doing it the way God called me to, which was to bring those things to him with thanksgiving. And then his peace that passes all understanding would guard me, would guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So we're bringing these things to him. We are also very aware that Jesus is ever interceding for us. Moms, he is ever interceding on our behalf. Even when we don't have words, if we are crying and wailing before the Lord, um, I just, as a little side note, be careful that your children aren't listening. I, I don't know that they can fully process what lament means unless you're able to understand it or able to explain it to them. Um, we just, we, I think we have to be a little bit careful about, but, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Um, just make sure that you're in a private place or that you explain to your children. Again, it would be an age appropriate thing. A three-year-old is going to be very, very um, dis, dis, um, disturbed by our wailing and Again, it's a legitimate form of lament, but we wouldn't want to upset the children about that. But as they get older, there is no reason that they can't see us crying before the Lord as long as we're sure to explain. God calls us to lament. These are, the, these are feelings that I am bringing before the Lord and I'm bringing all of this to him because I trust him. I can entrust these things to him. And so just making it a faith um you know, just a faith-related act that you are explaining to your kids. But back to the fact that Jesus is ever interceding for us, even when we don't have words, remembering that he is not a high priest that cannot sympathize with our pain. And this is another great, great comfort. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says, since, we ha- then, since then, we have a great high priest. He is our great high priest, moms, who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So we are not throwing our faith off to the side in the ditch. We are holding fast to our confession because we know that Jesus is our great high priest, that he intercedes for us and he empathizes. And that's what it goes on to say in the next verse, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. 
So when we're tempted to not hold fast to our confession, when we're tempted to complain in the modern sense of the word, as opposed to lament, when we're tempted to lose faith, when we're tempted to despair, we remember that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Even if we don't have the words, he sympathizes with our weaknesses and in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet was without sin. He walked it out perfectly so we do not have to. And because of that, the next verse says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we can go directly to the throne of grace to find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. That is some. That is another foundational thing that I have gone back to another brick on that foundation of thank you Lord that I can come directly into the throne room I don't have to make a sacrifice Jesus did everything for me so that I can come before you I can run to the throne room with confidence not sheepishly but with confidence knowing that I can ask for help from my father to help me to find grace and mercy in my time of need. And then it always seems to be followed by, and I am in need, Lord, please help me. So let's, let's take just a little side road because some of you may be listening and thinking, you know, I think that my great need has actually been caused by my own sin, my own foolishness, not doing what God has called me to do. And that could be a vast array of things. So I want to address that really quickly. But e- so even if our need has been created by our own sin, lament is the proper response. Remember what I said before? It's not just grief and sorrow, it's repentance or deep regret. So lament is the proper response. That is the first place we should go. In Psalm 40, David does exactly this. He starts by reminding himself of what God had done for him in the past because he was lacking confidence about asking God for help. So he went back and he reminded himself of the unchangeableness of God. And this is another brick on that foundation. He is unchanging, okay? Then David um, goes on to ask for that grace and mercy from God. And that you can, again, you can find that, that is in verse, uh, excuse me, Psalm 40. So as believers, we need to remember whether we're, we're suffering because of our own sin, we have a way out, right? We talked about the lamenting. If we're suffering because of just life and we live in a sinful world and things touch us, but never without God's permission, we have to remember that our suffering, in addition to that, is never purposeless, okay? It can feel like in the moment, I do not understand the point of this. I have said that to the Lord, God, I'm not getting this. And I have to have always have to go back to he is sovereign and he is good. He knows what he's doing. And sometimes I would even say, Lord, would you please give me some little peek into what you might be doing? And he has often done that very faithfully because he knows we're dust. We know we struggle. He knows we struggle to trust. And he loves it when we ask for those kinds of things. But our suffering is never purposeless. Second Corinthians 4, 17 says, for our light and momentary troubles, even though they don't feel light and momentary, right? But he's saying 
they are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what he's he's comparing and contrasting every difficulty, no matter how incredibly difficult that those difficulties, afflictions, and trials and hardships are, they're going to be nothing compared to the eternal glory that we are going to experience in eternity. So our suffering is never purposeless. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James 1, verse 2, counted all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He's not saying if, he says when. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, or in other translations, perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We want to be fruitful in these trials. God makes these trials fruitful. So the, uh, that is the stark difference between being a believer and an unbeliever. God makes our suffering fruitful. Now, I will say, on a side note, we can make it unfruitful. We can keep it from being fruitful or limit the fruitfulness by simply allowing our emotions or our circumstances to frame our theology instead of the other way around. So when we're doing this, we're not being salt and light. Again, that's not salt. Being salt and light is the fruit of obedience. And God is calling us to obedience in our suffering. So we, you know, as we suffer well, the world looks at it and and wonders, what is the hope? What is the reason for the hope that we have? The world doesn't have a box for that. The world doesn't have a box for grieving without hope or grieving with hope. The world doesn't have a box for suffering being fruitful. It, It just doesn't. And so when that happens and believers are walking that out, it is incredibly powerful. So we're, we want to be different ultimately than how the world responds, right? We're not called to respond the way the world responds. We're called to something different. We have a higher calling, okay? So how do we work from a biblical theological framework or a biblically theological framework, my autocorrect did something there. We must view hardship biblically. Hebrews 12, seven says this about hardship. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. 
Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So hardship is a form of discipline. Now, let me just quickly say, this isn't punishment. This is not punitive. Our punishment has been taken away by Christ. This is training, training in righteousness. We often think, and I have made this mistake for years, that if I'm trying to please God, you know, I'm consciously trying to please God pretty much all the time, I shouldn't have to undergo discipline or training, right? Because I'm I'm trying, right? <laughs> but when we think that way, then when we are undergoing that discipline and that training, we're thinking God is unfair, he is unaware, or he is indifferent. We're thinking that he is someone that he's not. And it's the same temptation that Eve had. The enemy said based essentially to her, is God who he really says he is? And so that's what ends up happening when we walk through discipline and training thinking that we shouldn't have to be, okay? Um, Another piece of this, another perspective or facet to this is worrying that we have done something that we're not aware of. So if we're, we're like looking at this, we're like, okay, this is discipline, this is training. Have I maybe done something that I shouldn't have and I'm unaware of it and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm undergoing discipline or training because of that. So here's what I want to say, moms, because I'm a master at this. We cannot get hung up on that and start to become morbidly introspective. And what I say, what I mean when I say I'm a master at this, I'm a master at being morbidly introspective. It's bad. I have had to resist that temptation so many times. When someone finally put a name on it, it really helped me a lot because it never leads any place good. It is a place where I end up in despair and hopelessness. So we do not want to become morbidly introspective. If God has something he wants to tell us, he will tell us. And we just simply need to ask. We need to ask him to reveal anything that we might not be aware of because we know Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't know our own hearts completely. Only God does. So sometimes, yes, he'll use discipline or training to get our attention so that we'll ask him and then he can reveal it to us. And then we can simply repent of it, lament and move forward and continue under the training or discipline as long as he calls us to. But either way, whether it's because of something we've done and God is growing us in wisdom and we're going to look back and go, not doing that again. Um, or whether it's just a training session. Either way, obedience looks the same. We bear, we must bear under it faithfully. And again, we are not under condemnation. Either way, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life and death has uh, set me free. No, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death, which um, basically Jesus took care of all that. Is, is essentially the the gist of that passage. So we're not going to become morbidly introspective. We're going to simply ask God to reveal it to us. And if he doesn't show us anything specific, 
We just bear under it faithfully the same, knowing that he is sovereign and he is good and that as we endure that and as we ask for him to help us to be fruitful, um, to make this suffering fruitful, um, we're gonna see that happen. Okay, discipline is also necessary, right? When we discipline our children, we do not enjoy it. It's not enjoyable, but we do it because it's the best for them. We have their best interest in mind. That is what discipline is. We're saying this isn't good for you. And this is not gonna lead any place good. So we need to put a stop to it. We need to nip this in the bud. So discipline is necessary. Proverbs 23 verses 11 and 12 says, my son, do not discipline the Lord's, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. It's hard sometimes to reconcile that because we always think, well, if he delights in me, why would he let this awful thing happen to me? But he delights in us and he definitely has our best interest in mind. And it's not just for this lifetime, it's for eternity. So it's a much bigger picture, but nothing touches us that doesn't pass through his loving hands first. So again, whatever hardship we're experiencing, it is from the hand of God, but it is a loving hand. And it is a hand that is completely sovereign over how much pressure is being put on us. And again, we can make that pressure way worse. That's not him. That's us. When we allow our emotions or our circumstances to frame our theology instead of believing and trusting and planting our feet on what we know is true. So our hardship is from the hand of God. He has allowed it. So what is our response going to be? Well, we will not likely have a biblical response in the big things. If we aren't practicing this daily in the little things. Now, if you're in the middle of a hardship, it doesn't mean you can't start practicing this right now and you got to start with the small things. Dig in, dive in. God will give you grace and mercy to do this. But maybe you're not going through, you know, a really big hardship right now. Um, maybe you want to train yourself to be ready for that, which is exactly what God would want us to do. Um, maybe your hardship is in the little things and that's okay. Like, don't feel guilty about that. Sometimes the day-to-day of motherhood feels like, oh, I should, this shouldn't feel like a hardship, but it does. And so when we admit it and we bring it to the Lord and we just say, Lord, I'm really struggling with this and please show me how to bear up well under this. Show me if there's anything that I need to do differently um, and help me to Uh, help this to be fruitful, make this suffering purposeful and fruitful. And that is exactly what he does. But if it's those little things in the day-to-day, take that opportunity to start living out a biblical theology in your day-to-day. That's where it starts, moms. Even if you're walking through hardship right now, start practicing it in the little things throughout the day. We need to remind ourselves of God's sovereignty. Write down, memorize, meditate on, and pray scriptures that remind us that he is in total control because he is. It is true. And this is truth. It's not because we're, we're not doing this to convince ourselves of it but because it actually is true. Truth never changes. It is objective. It is not subjective. It's not subjective to my emotions. So me memorizing and writing out isn't to make it true. It already is true. God is sovereign, whether we feel like it or not. 
By meditating on and praying these truths, we are aligning ourselves with what is already true. And that is how you work from a biblical, biblically solid uh, framework or a, a theology of biblical a biblical theology of suffering. Again, nothing touches us that doesn't pass through his loving hands first. We don't always understand it, moms. But we don't have to. We have the truth of who our God is, including his faithfulness. We have that to cling to. And we have his grace and mercy available to us 24-7. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And the second thing is we remind ourselves of God's sovereignty. We remind ourselves of God's goodness. Again, write down, memorize, meditate on, and pray scriptures um, that talk about how he is good. I'll include the ones I read today. Um, He is good. That is truth. He is where good originates. Anything good comes from him. Everything we have that's good comes from him. Remember, we are free to grieve. We are free to lament, but we are not free to complain in the modern sense of the term. And we're not free to respond in unbelief in terms of obeying God. When we do that, we are not obeying God and we are out of fellowship with him. And so moms, let's, as we walk this out, let's, let's, let's be obedient. Let's do what God calls us to do. Let's walk out these hardships and this suffering in faith. And again, this is, this is something that grows over time. You're not going to have it instantly. We have to practice things that help us remember and, and meditate on and memorize. Like I mentioned earlier, we need to meditate on the truths of who God is in the midst of hardship. Because as we walk this out, our kids are watching. They will watch us to see if this God that we claim to be, you know, who we say he, he is or who he says he is, is actually real. And there is no place that they will see that more than when we are walking through hardship. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for giving us your word and the truth of who you are that we can stand on in the midst of hardship and suffering. And I know moms are out there suffering greatly and in many different ways. And Lord, you are not unaware of the pain that they are in, but you are also the great comforter. Lord, you often walk us through these things to receive the comfort from you so that we can turn around and comfort others in their distress and in their suffering. Lord, our suffering is not purposeless. There is purpose to it. It can be fruitful. You make it fruitful. And so, Lord, I pray for every mom listening. I pray that she would know your presence. She would stand firmly on your word and on the truth of who you are and experience your love, your grace, your mercy, and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 